Hey church, my name's Aubrey. Uh, tonight's Bible reading comes from John chapter 17 and starts from verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. And Julianne's going to come and pray for us. Thanks, Aubrey. I just think that's a really moving prayer and we're actually going to use that for our prayers tonight. So I invite you to pray with me now. Hey, welcome to church. So good to be here, so good to gather around God's Word and with God's people. Uh, if, you are, if you are new with us or visiting with us, welcome. So good to have you here. My name is Miles. I have the great joy of being uh, the Youth and Young Adults pastor here. And it is an absolute joy for me. Uh, it's so good that we get to look at God's Word tonight. I'm going to pray and then uh, we're going to jump in. Father, you are big and we are small. Thanks for being our Lord of all. Thank you that you are present with us and you are for us in our ordinary moments, in our extraordinary moments, that you are a God that is not far away, but a God that is intimately involved in our lives and walks with us in all that is to come. Father, thank you so much uh, for the God that you are and the way that you are shaping uh, our community, our church uh, and our people. In Jesus' name, Amen. Uh, we're in the midst of a doctrine series. I've never done a doctrine series um, as, a, as a pastor before, so it's been fun and, and new and exciting for me. Uh, uh, and we're looking at the particular doctrine of union with Christ. Now, when you hear the word doctrine, I wonder uh, what comes to mind. Uh, Shane set up for us um, an idea of doctrine as um, it's kind of like a, a cake. You make a cake. You have ingredients, and then you go through a recipe, and you make a cake, and then you eat the cake. Uh, so you kind of had had this idea. Ingredients, recipe, cake, eat the cake. My general uh, experience of when I say doctrine to people is kind of one of maybe three, three responses. Two of them pretty negative, one kind of positive. Uh, the first one is uh, they tune out. That may have already happened to you already. Two, they freak out. Because doctrine is incredibly close to a word that we dislike a lot, indoctrination. And we don't want that word. That sounds horrible. Uh, and the third one is, you love doctrine, you get a bit overjoyed for it. But the first two, you tune out or you freak out. Which is really interesting. Uh, let me little, add a little bit more information to that to help you see what doctrine is. You see, doctrine is, um, it's like uh, another version of this is that maybe you build doctrine in everything that we do. See, forming doctrine is actually something that humans do all the time, even when we don't realise it. When you meet someone for the first time, you gain a little bit of information about them and then you meet them a few more times and then you become their friend and then when you're their friend you know how to be kind to them and take care of them. 
you exegeted them, you went through a method, and you got to a place where you're like, I know some things about this person, now I can care for them. So we do doctrine all the time as we interact in the world. Uh, let me give you an example. Um, here's some doctrines of Miles Elton. The doctrines of Miles Elton. Uh, first of all, my favourite pen is the Uniball. Uh, I have exegeted many pens, I've used many of them, uh, I've tried them all, and I've come to the conclusion, the doctrine, that the Uniball is in fact the best pen you could possibly have. I have uh, about 50 pens, uh, 50 of these in my office, uh, and if you ever steal one, I will kill you. Um, some people who work in the office with me know that I am actually a little bit fanatical about this. And sometimes my pens disappear and I find them in other places in the office and I am so angry. I think these pens are the best. In fact, I refuse uh, to write with any other pen. So if you give me another pen, I'll say, it's all right, I've got like three uniballs in my pocket right now, it'll be fine. Uh, the other thing that I'm uh, building a doctrine of is uh, the best barbers in, uh, in Wollongong. Uh, currently winning... Uh, is uh, Barber Enterprises, which is um, in the fig tree shops. The reason they're winning, though, is because uh, I went there before the wedding yesterday and I got a haircut, and they, they did something that was beautiful. Um, they gave me a half price on my haircut. I wonder if you can guess why. The guy was like, the guy was like oh, they're 50 bucks. And he's like, oh, nah, 40 bucks. Yeah, yeah. $30 for the beard and, and $10 for the head. And I was like... Thanks, thanks for the love. Uh, but they're currently winning. Uh, and last of all, uh, coffee. I have a pretty strong doctrine of coffee. I have a pretty strong opinion about um, uh, the cafes in Wollongong. Uh, and I, I exegete uh, those cafes every single day of the week. Um, uh, I have a, a methodology for deciding which one is the best. Uh, I'm looking for uh, the place with the best crema. I'm looking for the place uh, with the most uh, lovely baristas. I'm looking for a cafe that is aesthetically pleasing. I'm looking for a place that has um, good parking. And already you're bored, right? <laughs> I could talk about that for the next hour. I'm not going to. It's okay. But we do this, right? You do this. We build doctrines about things in life. It's a natural part of being human, in fact, uh, just to do that. And when it comes to God... Well, we build doctrines. We build ideas. We build thoughts. See, um, anytime anyone says, whether a follower of Jesus or not, says God is, they are putting forward a doctrine. They are making a statement of existence, of truth. Here's what doctrine is as followers of Jesus. It is not theological nerdiness, it is not uh, trying to fit someone into a box and restrict them to who they are from being something else. Doctrine is this. It is knowing and enjoying God in deeper and fuller ways. Doctrine is knowing and enjoying God in deeper and fuller ways. Which becomes really important because who God is shapes so much of the way we think about the world and the way we interact with anybody. Which brings us uh, to the key question we're going to walk through tonight, which is this. When someone says, when you say, I have a relationship with God, what do you mean? What are you actually saying at that point? When you're sharing with someone and you offer for them, would you like to have a relationship with God? What are you actually saying? What are you inviting them in to become a part of? And your response to that question and response to God is totally shaped by who you think God is. 
Uh, for example, uh, my scripture kids at Figgy High, um, uh, they think that God is an angry guy in the sky who is trying to ruin their lives. And thus, they respond to God in, I don't really want to have a relationship with that guy. Fair, right? No one wants to be friends with that person. And then um, uh, when I chat to, uh, chat to our youth kids about church, um, you guys, uh, you will often say back to me, Jesus. Because you have learnt that the right response to Miles, any, any of Miles' questions is Jesus. What's for dinner tonight? Jesus. Because I talk about Jesus a lot. You guys have worked me out. It's great. Um, uh, when I talk to other people uh, around the place, uh, Jesus, uh, God is a, a force for good. He's a nice idea. He's something that we uh, kind of go, oh, that's, that's good for you. That's a good thing for you to hold to. I'm really glad you have that. Who you think God is at that point shapes a whole bunch of what goes on. I was looking, uh, looking tonight at John 17 and then expanding from there through a whole bunch of scripture. We were asking this question of, well, who is that God that we're in relationship with and what does that mean? Let's jump into John 17. John 17 is this fascinating, beautiful passage. Um, I heard the best sermon of my life on it in January when Peter Lanahan preached on it. Um, he's not here, so I can give him a plug. Um, and, uh, and it's just a beautiful, amazing passage. And in this moment, Jesus, after this, is about to be uh, arrested. He's about to be uh, uh, persecuted. He's about to be beaten. He's about to be mocked and scorned. He's about to be put up on a cross naked. And he's about to die. He's praying to God before this happens. He's praying with the disciples. Just before this, he prays for the disciples. And then he starts with this. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who believe in me through their message. Jesus prays for us. That's fascinating. And what does he pray for us? He doesn't pray, I hope they have a really great day. He doesn't pray, I hope they have really happy lives. He doesn't pray, I hope all their exams go really well. He prays something much bigger and all-encompassing. It's up there. To the Father, he says, just as you and I, uh, you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. His prayer is for connectedness and intimacy and relationship with the people to come. That they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so they may be brought to complete unity. We see in this moment is, is God, Jesus' prayer is that we would be connected and related to the Son and we would be connected and related to the Father in particular ways. It's setting up a relationship of intimacy and connectedness. To be in relationship with God is to be in relationship with the different persons of God. We see this expanded even more when we jump into Matthew 28, where uh, the name that we are baptised into when people become followers of Jesus is we're baptised into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We're not baptised into the name of God. We're baptised into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We are brought into a relationship with every person of God. God is one in unity of purpose and diverse in role to serve that purpose. So we experience God as Trinity, as three persons. This is where our doctrine of union in Christ, remember that's the doctrine we're looking at, this is where our doctrine of union in Christ is incredibly helpful. Because it's already a bit confusing, yeah? The union of Christ helps us here. It helps us to see that what is true of Christ becomes true of us when we are in him. I'll say that again. 
Union in Christ, the doctrine says, that what is true of Christ becomes true of us when we are in him. Shane talked last week about uh, Union Christ as an experience of agency and participation. Agency, we receive the blessings of Christ that he's won for us, and participation, we participate in the life of Christ who has gone before us. Um, to help us understand Union with Christ, um, there's a, an author, a preacher and author, Rory Shiner, um, from WA, and he uses this illustration, and I'm just going to steal it. He says this, he says, Imagine uh, you're at the airport, and in your hand is a ticket. That ticket is to Hawaii. You're here, the plane's over there. The question is, what relationship do you need to have with that plane? Do you need to be, one, do you need to be under the plane, submitting to that plane's authority to fly and its amazing ability to go to Hawaii? No, just so you know, if you're under a plane, it will kill you. Do you need to be inspired by that plane? Do you need to go to the airport every single day and watch planes take off and fly and dream and hold tight in your heart of hearts that one day I could do that too? I could fly like a plane to Hawaii. Yes, that is ridiculous. Or do, do you follow the plane? It makes sense that if you watch the plane take off and you take, take notice of its like general direction and you kind of aim in the same general direction and you try and head in that direction at the same kind of speed, that you would achieve the same thing. You get to Hawaii because you're going in the same way. No. What is the key relationship you need not to be under it, not to be inspired by it, not to follow it, but to be? I'm going to take that nervous moment as in it. See, what happens to the plane happens to you. The question of, did you get to Hawaii, is answered by this question, did the plane get to Hawaii? If you're in the plane, then what happens to the plane happens to you. We are not called to be under Christ, We are not called to be inspired by Christ. We are not called just to follow Christ. But we are in Christ. There's a primary way that we are described. When it comes to relationship with God, we are united with Christ. And what is true of him is true of us, that we are brought into the relationships that are true of Jesus. Jesus has a heavenly Father. And Jesus has an indwelling Spirit. Those things now become true of us. Let's look at some of the words to get to see how this works out. It's something that's true of Jesus. As Jesus is about to be, um, he's been baptized by John the Baptist. Not about to be, he is being baptized. And it's this amazing uh, triune moment where you see all the persons of God interacting. As he comes out of the water, the Spirit descends on him, uh, and just, well, the Greek is descends into him like a dove. I don't know how a dove descends into people, but you get the image. And, um, and the voice from heaven, the Father, speaks. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. A true moment, the start of Jesus' ministry, a true statement of his identity. He is the son of the father and he is indwelt by the spirit. True of Jesus. And then, what's true of us? True of those who are in Christ. See what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. 1 John 3.1 that love that is directed towards the Son 
is now true of those who are in Christ. Because you are his sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba Father, a statement of intimacy and connection with God, so you are no longer a slave but God's child, and since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. True of Jesus, now true of us. True of Jesus. When the disciples asked Jesus to pray, how to pray, he says this, This then is how you should pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That is a statement of intimacy. When he asks them how to pray, he teaches them to pray like he prays. Talk to the Father. Call out to him. At the beginning of his ministry in Luke 4.18, he's quoting Isaiah, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Jesus has the Spirit come upon him, indwell him, shape him, and build him for mission. True of Jesus, and also true of us. Romans 8, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit leads us like it led Jesus. The Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, we're brought into being a part of the family. We now speak and say, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And we know that the Father hears us. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children and we become co-heirs with Christ. And last one. This beautiful moment that captures so much. Uh, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. If you are in Christ, you have the Spirit of Christ. As you are brought into the relationship of faith in Jesus, you have the Spirit in you. And the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. The spirit that brought someone back from the dead is at work in you, bringing you back from the dead, bringing new life in you. What is true of Christ is true of us. So we are related to all parts of God. The Father as his children, Christ as our saviour and co-heir, and the Spirit as God with us, transforming us. And all three as Lord. That is the uniform title that the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit are given in God's word that help us to know he is Lord over all of us. What do we mean when we say we have a relationship with God? Well, Father as his beloved children. Christ as our saviour and co-heir and spirit as God with us transforming us. See, through our union with Christ, we are brought into the embrace of God such that the whole of God is at work in us and for us. The whole of God. The Father acts through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. We are brought into relationship with the Trinity, the lover, the beloved, the love, the initiator, the mediator, the completer. It's like that moment Maybe, maybe you don't experience this, but as a socially awkward human being, there are times when I walk into a room and my greatest fear is realised, I'm not sure if I know anyone here. You ever had that feeling? It's incredible how you can walk into a room and you can feel incredibly alone, even though there's like 50 people there. And you go, oh, where do I belong? Where do I fit? And then you have that wonderful feeling of when you see, when the people that know you see you. And they say, come join us. You're with us and we're with you. Let's do this together.
the whole of God says to you, you're with us and we're with you. Come on in. You're welcome. The whole of God embraces us as a human. The community that is God says to you, come join in. You're welcome here. It's fascinating the moment there of the character of God that is so missional and intent. That God has gone out and is drawing people in. And in that moment we see a little bit of what it means to be God's people. One of our goals as a church is to be everyone relating, making people known and cared for. And we see that in the character of God. It's not just we've implanted this goal upon our church to force us to do something. We see this consistent with God's character. He is the one that goes to people and says, you are with us and we are with you. So it makes sense that God's people would have the same mission. That we might go to people and say, well, we're with you. You're welcome here. And God's welcome isn't based on whether people are the same as him. He goes and welcomes his enemies. No matter your past, your present or your future failings and sins, you're welcome here. Because God has welcomed you here. No matter even if you have hurt us, you're welcome here. It's going to be complicated. We're going to hurt each other. But God, who has been hurt more than any, any being in the world, and who has even more reason to hold justice against all humanity, but welcomes us. We have the wonderful joy of being on his mission and saying, we're with you. We welcome you too. Come join us. Finally, we're going to look at um, what, what, how this affects us as disciples or affects people that follow Jesus. Um, one, of the, one of the things I've been uh, fascinated by is when I'm uh, talking with people and, and hearing how their relationship with, with God is going, uh, often the thing that affects it the most is actually their view of God. Who they actually, that question of your relationship with God, who is that God? I've been blown away, that, not blown away, it's really obvious actually, that how you view God actually produces your experience of your relationship with him. Because God is at the centre and he shapes everything that you are. It makes sense that who you view him to be will shape your experience of being a follower of him. And what I've tended to notice is that sometimes we treat the persons of God individually. And it ends in places that are not good for us. So for instance, sometimes um, I'm telling people, I find that they're treating God as father. He is uh, the guy in the sky who tells us what to do and wants us to be gooder. He wants us to do better. He loves us, but he wants us to be good. And my experience of when I'm chatting to people that see God purely as Father is that they are led with a certain level of fear and potential guilt and a real strong lack of assurance that God is for them. The question on their mind is, does God like me? Is God really for me? And this horrible, horrible word uh, comes out, I don't think I'm a good enough Christian. I don't think I'm a good Christian. I despise that phrase. 
because it misses the point altogether. When we treat Father as God only, it robs our joy. It doesn't produce loving works towards the Father. It produces fear. Or second, uh, we just treat the Son as, as God, purely by himself. Uh, the Son who came to earth and lived the perfect life, he died to save us from our sins, and now we get entered into a second chance. I call this second chance theology. When we go, well, Jesus, he saved me and he died for me, and now I, can, I get a second chance to do better. I get to be good. I get to be like Jesus. Second chance theology that Jesus died to save you and forgive you so you can do better now. You can be better. And kind of this, this call out to, don't you know what Jesus has done for you? Can't you get in line with the gift that he has given you? What is wrong with you that you can't see the goodness he has done for you? Get in line with his gift. My experience of the fruit of that is people not feeling like they can ever walk into this building. People feeling shame. People feeling like, well, a lack of assurance again. I'm not sure I'm doing a good enough job of being a Christian. And finally, uh, when we treat the Spirit uh, by himself, um, uh, the, uh, the Spirit becomes the experience of God, moving and internal. Um, uh, to be led by a Spirit often means to be in isolation from uh, what the Spirit is intended to do in God's Word. We become highly spiritual in our language and our experience, but it becomes removed from the role of the Spirit's work to transform us into the likeness of the Son. What happens is the Spirit is talked about as an it rather than a he. It becomes, it becomes depersonalized. And as a generalization, and it's truly a generalization, um, uh, the fruit of this is not holiness, desire for Jesus, transformation, evangelism, mission, uh, but it often is a, a vague spirituality uh, that floats on the wind of experience and desire. Union with Christ draws us into something beautiful here. It draws us into relationship with every person of God, united towards his purpose. Union with the personal God through union with Christ. The Father who sends his Son out of love and desire for justice to become human, who initiates creation, initiates recreation, showers love upon his people, who brings redemption to our world and to the people of this world. The Son who willingly gives up his life to pay for the sins of the world, for past, present and future sins, redeems us from enemies of God to be the children of God, co-heirs with him. And the Holy Spirit who indwells believers and transforms them day by day to the image of the Son who replaces lies of the world with the truth from the Father and the Son, who brings fruit to bear in the lives of those who belong to Christ, who equips the church for the work of God who does the miraculous thing, the miraculous work of giving the gift of faith. That the once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus' death bears freedom in us, not slavery. He leads us into the promises and purposes of God. What does it mean to have a relationship with God? It means that the whole of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is for you and not against you. 
The whole of God embraces you. The whole of God is at work in you. The whole of God is for you and not against you, present with you. He is empowering you. He is redeeming you. He is saving you. He is defeating sin in you. He is shaping all that you are. God is not an idea. He is not a whisper on the wind. He is not a political movement. He is not a philosophy. God is personal. And he embraces us. He is one with whom we are personally engaged through union with Christ. What is true of Christ is true of us. We become those who have a father, a heavenly father. We become those who are saved by Christ and become co-heirs with him. And we have a spirit who indwells us and transforms us from the inside out. The whole of God is for you and not against you. Let me pray. Father, we are so thankful for you. We are so thankful for that, the way you work in this world, that you embrace us and you welcome us in. Father, help us to know you as you are. Help us to know you as you have revealed yourself to be. Father, help us to be your children. Help us to live in salvation. Help us to be shaped by your spirit. May be present here with us now, moving our hearts to long for you. We might desire your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen.